six years ago when Sandy and I arrived in the Bay Area, there's three things we're looking forward to. Number one, we're looking forward to doing ministry full-time. I'd been serving and working in Chicago as a part-time pastor as I was doing my master's. Uh, second thing we're looking forward to was starting a family. We'd been married for four or five years. It just wasn't the right time. We're ready to start a family. And the third thing is we, we wanted to have a dog. We'd, since we'd been married, uh, everywhere we'd lived, you know, you know, apartment complex or whatever, they didn't let you have pets, and so we were looking forward to having a dog. So we began the process of kind of doing our homework, right? What kind of dog do we want? So we decided we, we, we wanted kind of a medium-small dog, not a toy dog, not a big dog, kind of medium-small. We wanted a short hair but not long-haired dog. We wanted a dog because we were going to have kids and have a lot of church people over. We wanted a dog that was super friendly, not really a watchdog, right? And so we had all these criteria, and we're thinking out through... So in the end, uh, we both decided, and it has turned out pretty good, we have decided to be a beagle family dog. So we've had two beagles since we've started that. Let me show you. i got the pictures of both of them up there. Those are my two dogs over the years. I have Chavi now. He's uh, 12 years old, and Chucho. Interesting, just a little side note about their names. Uh, Chavi was given, his, that name was given to him. He's a Spanish soccer player from my favorite Spanish soccer team, which is awesome because on Sundays when I run home after church and watch games, it's wonderful for the commentator to be doing this thing in Spanish, blah, 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 and every once in a while he'll say the name Chavi, and my dog like, what the heck's going on, which is very humorous to watch that. Second of all, Chucho. Chucho was given his name because it is my favorite Spanish pastry. It is uh, a pastry covered in sugar. It has filled with custard. It's delicious. However, I didn't know this, know this until I came to the United States. In, in sp- Spanish in, 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 in Spain is very different than Spanish in Mexico. Apparently, certain regions of Mexico, you want to know what chucho means? It is the word they use for Jesus Christ. I know. It's the weirdest thing to have church people over from Mexican descent, and I'm like, Jesus, come here. Jesus, get in your bed. (laughs) Very awkward to have that conversation, but that's the names of my two dogs. Um, A year after we got Chucho, a year after we got Chucho, Sandy and I are like, he's fun, but goodness gracious me, we'd open the door, get our mail, and boom, he would take off, run away. And, And it's like, he's not following instructions very well, so we decided Let's sign up for like a dog training kind of class, right? So we went to a class in El Sobrani, right across from the post office, and it was a Tuesday night, and Sandy would take the dog Chucho on one Tuesday, and then I would take him the next Tuesday. And we'd alternate so that we could both be trained on, you know, how to, you know, make the dog sit and turn over and heal and all that stuff. Well, one particular Tuesday evening, it's Sandy's turn to take Chucho to dog training. And um, I, I offered to take the dog because by now, Sandy is almost eight months pregnant. And I'm like, I can go. And she goes, no, 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 I can handle it. And she takes the dog. And so she goes, I begin to be get concerned because she doesn't return when she's supposed to. She's not 10 minutes late. She's not 20 minutes late. She's not 30 minutes late. She's an hour late. And I'm a little concerned. This is before the days we all have cell phones. Well, some people had cell phones, but they were the size of the, remember when they had cell phones? Remember those cell phones? So we didn't have those kind of cell phones. So I'm just kind of sitting worried. My pregnant wife and the dog is gone. What's going on? She shows back up at home. She says, you're not going to believe what happened. And and if any of you ever met Chucho, you know, he was a fun dog. She goes, we arrived to, to class about a minute late and everybody's heels sitting next to their owner. And he walks in and as a beagle, roar, roar, and he's like the class clown and he gets all the other dogs to misbehave and they're all going crazy. So after class, the trainer told Sandy and Chucho they both had detention. There it is right there. 
They both had detention. I thought that was hilarious, right? And, and the trainer starts explaining to Sandy, you know, you're right. Beagles are incredibly fun-loving dogs. They're very cute dogs. Snoopy is, was a beagle, right? But did you know, he says to Sandy, that beagles are one of the, mo- the, the most difficult breeds of dog to train. And then, and then he says to Sandy, they don't like to obey that well. <laughs> I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, neither do you. Go ahead and tell them. <laughs> say it with some attitude. You know it's true. <laughs> Guys, please listen up. I, I know we want to obey God. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that you're here because you want that. But please, for the love of God, don't, don't, let's be honest and admit that there's a streak in rebelliousness within each of us and we're just like beagles. We don't really like to do it all the time. Grab the study guide real quick. We're continuing our series in the life of Elijah. Do you see what we're talking about this morning? The study this morning is entitled Obedience is Hard. It's hard. And as we get into the story, last week, First Kings chapter 16, the whole problem begins because the king of Israel, Ahab, begins to embrace idolatry. If you did not and weren't here last week, idolatry isn't just worshiping a pagan god Baal like he did. Now, anytime you value Anytime you love and pursue anything more than you pursue and love and value God, it is by very definition an idol. And, and, and Ahab's doing that. And so, so God gets a hold of the prophet Elijah and he says, I'm going to need you to head over to the court. I need you to have a little conversation, a little chat with King Ahab. And that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And this is what we read. Now, the prophet Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead, he said to Ahab, I'm emphasizing, highlighting, all caps that word, because the first principle we're going to talk to refers to the responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus to speak truth, to say certain things. He said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. He will, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, essentially what Elijah is doing here is confronting the king. But I, I also want you to observe that he's doing it very delicately, very diplomatically, right? He, because, you see, in our day and age, if we don't like a, the president, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, we complain about it, we say whatever we want, and because of free speech, you're allowed to do that. But in those days... When you criticize the president or the king, more often than not, they chopped your head off. And so what the prophet Elijah is trying to do is he's trying to balance being obedient to God and telling the king what God wants him to say, and he values having his head connected to his neck. So you have to read between the lines here. I've highlighted for you the emphasis of what Elijah says, but now I'm going to break down for you. There's three things, three points that Elijah makes about God. Here's the first thing he says. I want to remind you, my God is alive and well. You see, last week I, I, I informed you that the historical context, context is that you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. You have Israel and you have Judah. But the temple of God in Jerusalem is in Judah. It's in the other country. And so the king of Israel couldn't go to the temple. And it's as if Elijah is saying to him, listen, I know you haven't been to church very recently. You haven't been to temple. You haven't been to synagogue. You aren't in a Bible study. You, you, your kids aren't going to youth group. You know, you don't, but, but and you're not following God on Instagram and Facebook, but I'm here to remind you he is alive and well, and he's still doing his thing. Second thing, 
my God is worth following. He is alive whom I serve. You see, what he's trying to remind Ahab, the court, and all of us is this. If you follow an idol, and I get it, you're not following Baal. But some of us have been caught following our career or valuing our family, or valuing money. or what, what You value something, anything more than God. It is by very definition an idol. And Ahab is here to remind the king and you, in the end when you do that, your life is going to get all jacked up. God is worth following, not your idol. But the thrust of his message comes in this whole rain thing. And it's, it, it's Elijah's way of telling Ahab, just check this out. No, I, he's not going to come into the court and go, you moron, Baal doesn't exist. Because his head gets chopped off if he says this. He's so much more subtle. Yeah, no, King Ahab, I just want you to know that my God, God is bigger and he's stronger than your God. See, last week I gave you a, a 3D image of what the Canaanite God Baal, whom Ahab was now worshiping, looked like. What I didn't tell you was what was on Baal's business card. You see, what, what Baal was known for is as the, the god of fertility. So if you and your spouse wanted to have a kid, you would pray to Baal because he was really good at that. If, you, if we as farmers, he was the, called the crop god. If, if we as farmers, you know, what we would do is we would till the soil, we would throw some seed, then we would pray to Baal, God, give me a, uh, Baal, give me a big crop. And, and essentially, this rain prophecy is Elijah saying to Ahab, Pray all you want for crops. Go ahead. You do your thing. What you don't realize is that the God of the Bible controls the weather. He controls the rain. Pray all you want, but no rain equals no crops. Within the year, your God will be bowing down to my God. That's essentially what he's saying. But everything is is, is in his speech, which leads me. Today, most of our application is going to come in the form of questions because I want you to mull it over. Here's the first question I want you to think about. Are you verbally praising and glorifying God in the midst of an unbelieving crowd or culture? Because you see, that's that's what Elijah does. He goes in in the midst of an unbelieving court to speak of the goodness of God. Would you agree it's easier to praise God in the midst of a believing crowd? After church with donut time right over there, it's much easier to praise God right over there. Much easier to praise Jesus on Wednesday night youth group. Much easier to praise Jesus at midweek Bible study. Because you're surrounded by a believing crowd. No, no, I'm talking about the unbelieving crowd. How are you doing when it comes to praising and glorifying God in the midst of your unbelieving workplace that you're in? How about the unbelieving family that you're a part of? How about the unbelieving school that many of you students are in? When's the last time you spoke up for Jesus there? Sandy and I, we, we, we just wrapped up, you guys know what is probably the vacation of a lifetime, and we got to go to, to Sydney, Australia, and went on a cruise, Australia, New Zealand, and it was just absolutely spectacular and gorgeous, and when I was in New Zealand, one of the things I discovered is that the national bird of New Zealand is called the kiwi, just like the fruit, spelled the same way, but the kiwi is about, it's a bird about this size, it's a, it's a, it's a fat little guy, he has long legs, he has a long beak, he watched, walks the beach and eats bugs, right? And, and what, what, the, what the bald eagle is to the United States, the kiwi is to New Zealand. And everybody, they're, they're proud of their kiwi. Because you see it on magnets, you know, you see it on t-shirts, you see it on calendars, you see it on posters, everywhere you go. Well, on the third excursion that we were on at the cruise, 
um, we, we stopped, and it was a small excursion. We were in a van, about six of us. And the guy says to us, he says, you know, I have this itinerary. I'm supposed to take you here and there, but I also have some flexibility. Is there anything else you want to go, anywhere else you want to go? Anything else you want to see? And one of the other guys in the van goes, yeah, there's actually one thing I want to see. We, everybody's talking about the Kiwi. We've not seen one yet. We've been here almost a week. We've never seen one. To which the driver said this. He said, well, <clears throat> the Kiwi... The national bird of New Zealand is a nocturnal bird. So he's mainly out at night. Even us as New Zealanders, we, we, most of us haven't seen or ever heard a kiwi. And I guess what I want to ask you this morning is, are we like the national bird of New Zealand? Oh, they've heard of us out there. But when's the last time they saw and heard us at work, at home, at school? Heard us speak of the goodness of God. Heard us glorify the goodness of God. Just so we're clear, I, I want to make sure you understand what the word glorify means. It's worth writing down in your notes or your phone because it's that important. The word glorify comes from the Greek word doxa, which means to enhance someone's reputation. Just to be clear, you and I cannot enhance the character of God. God is good, God is great, God is pure, God is holy. Nothing you or I can do or say that makes him any better than he already is. But when it comes to his reputation, goodness gracious me, you and I know the minute we walk out those doors. That one of the main reasons people don't follow Jesus, the Son of God, is because what people think about God out there doesn't match what we know is true of who he is. God does not need you to stand up for him. He's a big boy. He's got that covered. You know what he needs from you? He needs you and I to enhance his reputation in the midst of an unbelieving crowd. To enhance it, to make them think differently about God. If, if we don't do that, there's no chance of getting them to Jesus. When's the last time you did that? I got a homework assignment for you. My homework assignment for you this week, one of my homework assignments is this. This week... Figure out a way amongst unbelievers, because we get caught in a little believer Christian bubble sometimes. Figure out a way to enhance God's reputation. Say something, anything. Oh, by the way, watch your tone. And, and, and if you're going to make a mistake, it's always better to, to, to say a little bit too little than a little bit too much. But one of the things we see with, with Elijah's example is God calls us to be individuals who glorify him, enhance his reputation, praise him amongst unbelievers. Does that make sense? Second, second verse, story goes on. Here's what we read. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. I'm going to stop right there. We go through this way too quickly. Um, we think that the word of the Lord comes probably a couple days to a week after he's in the court. Uh, we believe that the word of the Lord is audible. So as you are hearing me right now, God heard Elijah. Now, every once in a while, I'm talking to some of you, and some of you are like, oh, I wish I had that. I wish God talked to me out loud. Wouldn't that be easier in a way? You know where to work, who to marry, you know, where to live. He tells me exactly what he needs me to do. I would no, no, and some of us think that would be easier, and I'm here to tell you, not so quick. Not so quick. Don't forget one moment the life of the prophets. Don't forget their life expectancy. You, you, do, you do realize most prophets ended up being stoned. And by stoned, I don't mean feel really good and have the munchies. <laughs> I mean brick to the side of your head. 
please, under, you don't want what Elijah had. And please don't underestimate the power and the gift that is this. This is the word of God. He wants to speak to you constantly. What I want to do is ask you the second application question, and it's very simply this. How often do you hear God talking to you? Now, I, I realize that if you say that the wrong way, some people think you're a crazy person, right? Go back to work and all these unbelievers, and you go, God told me, and people are like, you're, you're crazy. So that's why I have some other words in there, and you can put in whatever you want in your notes. Have you, when's the last time you heard God talking to you? When's the last time you had God leading you, nudging you, guiding you? You, you know what I mean by that. It, it's this idea that in the gut of who you are, it's this special, mystical, spiritual sense that God is tugging on your heart. You hear David's words, but you, you hear and sense God's leading in your heart. You're in Bible study. You're at youth group listening to the pastor or the, or the youth leader teach, and you hear their words, but you sense it's the Holy Spirit God tugging on your heart. Do you have that happen to you? Because the Christian faith believes that we have a God that wants to do that. So the question is, if you're not, why not? I'm going to assume that you understand step number one. Step number one, Jesus says, is that my sheep, uh, they hear my voice and they know me. So step number one, the obvious one is that you have to connect to Jesus as Savior. I'm assuming 95% of you have already done that. 5% of you are still checking Jesus out, and I'm glad you're doing that. And take your steps and go through your process. But for the 95% of you that have already embraced Jesus, if you're not hearing Jesus, what's happening? Why not? I'm going to give you some suggestions. You try and figure out which one or two are true. If you can't hear Jesus, maybe you're not obeying enough. See, obedience is a conduit to hearing God's voice, to having God's leading. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Second of all, if you can't hear God, maybe you're not quiet enough. Would you agree that we live in a world that's filled with distractions? This, this sucker right here is one of the worst ones. I love, I love my phone, but goodness gracious me, if you're trying to read God's word and have your devotional life and you have this on, not too wise. I'm just saying. Some of us aren't putting ourselves in a situation where we, we, we minimize the distractions. Number three, you aren't studying enough. So, guys, sometimes it just takes a little time And I'm not saying you can't hear from God in three minutes when you read this book, but more often than not, it requires a little bit more effort, a little more study. You just have to put a little more time in. That's all I'm saying. For some of us, you're not confessing enough. What wax is to your inner ear, unconfessed sin is to your soul. Originally, when I wrote this outline, I said, you got to eliminate sin. But then I thought that's not realistic and actually not accurate. First John says, none of us can eliminate sin, but you can minimize it. You can fight it. You can confess it. And if you're going through life not confessing sin, it's like wax building up in your ears, and eventually you just won't hear God. You have to get in the habit of confessing. The last is you're not around the right people enough. Let me ask you a question. Who are the top 10 influencers in your life? Think about them real quick. Just think about them. Let them come in your mind. The top 10 people that influence you the most question. Are they more like King Ahab? People who are following idols, whether that's the idolatry of sports or entertainment or fun or career or money or alcohol or fun or whatever it is, are your influencers more like Ahab or are they more like the prophet Elijah? People who are doing their best to follow and live for God. Now, 
whoever your group of people is will give me the answer as to why you may or may not be hearing from God. Does that make sense? I read the story of a guy called Steve Henning. He's not a famous guy. He's just a guy that lives, has lived in Illinois for the last 60 years. And this, his story is in the, in the 1940s, early 1940s. He, at the age of two, he got uh, spinal meningitis, which is a very serious disease. And um, at the time, because of World War II, the doctors didn't have a lot of access uh, to penicillin. They didn't have enough of it. And so he was not given enough penicillin or the, the right dosage and amount. And sadly, he lost his hearing. For 55 years, Steve Henning, I, think about this, how much we take for granted. For 55 years, Steve Henning lived his life not being able to hear the sound of a waterfall or chirping birds, not being able to hear the sound of laughter or music. For 55 years, Steve picked himself up. He had a fairly normal life. He got married. He had kids. But for 55 years, he never heard the voice of his wife. Never heard the voice of his kids. And then one day, his doctor told him, he said, Steve, there's a, you know, medical technology is just kind of going crazy, and there's a new procedure. There's a new surgery that I'd like to propose to you. And um, it it allows sound waves to travel uh, and bypass the non-functioning portion of your ear and go right to the auditory uh, nerve in your ear. And there's, there's an outside chance that we can get you to hear again. Are you interested in the surgery? He's like, absolutely. Who wouldn't? So they're about ready to do the procedure, and the doctor says to him, he says, just one little detail. I, wanna, I want you to understand that we can't activate the device in your ear until the swelling goes down. It takes about six weeks. So you just need to know for six weeks, for sure you won't hear anything. Well, six weeks to the day after his surgery, he shows back up in the doctor's office. He sits down. The doctor's doing a couple things. They activate whatever device is in his ear. The doctor backs himself out out of the, ho- out of the room. He goes and finds the wife, and he says to his wife, to the wife of Steve, he says, I'm going to give you the opportunity and the privilege to be the first person to say something to him and see if the surgery worked. She goes into the doctor's office. She leans into her husband's side of his face. She says three words. I love you. She quickly glances at her husband's face. She sees him smile and a tear go down his cheek. Listen to me. This is really important. God brought some of you to church today because this past week, he wanted me to tell you something. Here's what he wanted me to say to you. Tell them I love them. I love them. Now, I know what your mind does. Yeah, but I got all this crap in my life. I got all this garbage. No, no. he wanted me to make sure you knew, in spite of all that, he loves you. Could you rest in the truth that God loves you? Can can you hear David's voice or can you hear the Holy Spirit telling you that's true? Guys, we got to put a little more effort into listening to him. It's important, it's valuable to hear the word of the Lord to speak and glorify him. But the third and the emphasis of this passage comes in verses two to six. We also need to obey God with our lives. I want you to notice the repetition in verses five and six from what we get in verses three and four. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. We just looked at that. We just talked about it. And and he says to Elijah, I want you to leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed ravens to supply you there with food. Now notice almost verbatim repetition. 
So Elijah did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. What I want to do is I want to show you the four or five ways that Elijah obeys, and I want you to be honest and evaluate yourself. Do you have this kind of obedience towards God? Number one is that Elijah obeys God immediately. The indication in the Hebrew language is that there's not a delay. Elijah doesn't have a goodbye party with his buddies. He doesn't send out a Facebook invite to, hey, I'm leaving and I got a garage sale. Nope. No, no, no. Just pack up. You got a backpack. You got one suitcase. Take your tent. Leave. Go now. One of the interesting details is it's not go to Kareth Ravine. No, no look, at, look at what's on the screen. Hide there. How difficult must this have been for the prophet? Because Elijah, I, I guarantee you, he's thinking, thank goodness, finally I get to speak to the king. Now I get to speak to God's people. I get to try and convince them, stop following idols, start following Yahweh God. It's time for a national preaching tour. I'm going to talk to reporters on the radio and on TV. I'm going to start blogging and telling people God is worth following. Nope. Go, go, to, go to the wilderness. Go, go, go. Quick. When... um. When I was outlining the story that is um, the story and life of Elijah, there's a couple highlights. The, the main highlight is going to happen in a couple chapters when, when he faces off with 450 pagan prophets of Baal, and oh my goodness, does he spank their butts. It is one of the coolest stories where God shows up miraculously. It's a place called Mount Carmel. Now, what I want to do is I want to contrast and compare for you where he's currently at in Kareth versus Mount Carmel. I have two images for you about what that looks like today in modern Israel. Let's put them up there. So Mount Carmel looks, well, just basically like that. That's what we think is Mount Carmel. And, and when we get to the story, you'll see from a, from a literal figurative spiritual standpoint, it represents a place of excitement. It represents a place of God's power working in and through us. It represents a place of victory. How many of us, that's where we prefer to live, don't we? Victory in our relationships, victory in our finances, victory spiritually, victory in our career. That's where I want to be. God, send me to Mount Carmel. But that's not where he sends him. He sends him to Kareth. The image you see on the screen is what, where we think that area was. We know it's pretty much right around there. It's a desert. And what we see happening in the life of Elijah for three and a half years is that Kareth very much so is a place that represents challenges. Loneliness. He's all by himself. Stress. Here's what I need you to understand. You might want to jot this down. More often than not. It's not a guarantee. But more often than not, when you see what Scripture does with God's people, when you talk to the people around you, more often than not, God sends you to spend time in Kareth. He allows you to experience challenges. He allows you to experience stress before he blesses you with time at Mount Carmel. Question, any of you feel like you're living in Kareth right now? Any of you walked in these doors when an insurmountable amount of challenge in your life any of you walked in here stressed because of a situation that you're going through? Any of you walked in here sad, frustrated, or lonely? 
welcome to Kara. Now, be careful, because you, you got to be careful what, with what your inner voice will tell you, because sometimes we're like, yeah, I must have screwed up. God's upset at me. No, not necessarily. Elijah is not in Kareth because he disobeyed God. In fact, quite the opposite. He's in Kareth because he did everything God wanted him to do, which is a reminder to us that God's primary goal in your life is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. And he's going to work in Elijah during this time and work in the land that is his people Israel. I wish it's true, but I, I got to tell you, Mount Carmel isn't also a promise to you. I, I hope you get there. But here's what I want to remind you of, is that if you have any chance of getting out of Kareth and getting to Mount Carmel, it's dependent on obedience. I'm here to remind you this morning that in the long run, may, maybe not always in the short run, but in the r- long run, obedience to God always, always pays off. So you keep going and keep looking at, well, what did Elijah do? No, the second thing is he obeys completely. It, when, you're, when you're studying God's word, you want to look for words that seem out of place that are repeated. And it's interesting that when God speaks to Elijah, he says, okay, so yeah, you got this little situation. You're, you need protection from Ahab and provision. And I just want you to know, you see it highlighted on the screen. I'm not going to provide for you right here. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to provide for you right here. I'm not going to provide for you here. I want you there. No, I need back up a little bit, Elijah, to the left. Back, right, right there, there, right there. Not here, there. No, 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 no. I know they have a gym membership in town. No, you can't sign up. No, you, you, no, you can't go to the movies on the weekend. Stay there. A, a Bible study with your neighbors? No, not even that. I want you right there. Don't move. See, the, the issue is not do you obey God mainly The question is, do you obey God completely? He gives you 100 100 things to do. I'll do 90 of them. It's pretty good. No, no, no. He obeyed completely. Remember the title of this morning's study? Obedience is tough. This next one is very interesting. Elijah obeys prayerfully. So throughout scripture, every once in a while, the prophet Elijah is mentioned again as an example. He's mentioned in James. What's interesting is we quote the verse in James, but never we, we stop before it gets to Elijah, not realizing the entire text is about Elijah. It's the verse that talks about the prayer of a righteous man, it, it, it availeth much and such, but we stop right there. Oh, no, no, no. I've given it to you from a different translation to kind of make our minds twist a little bit so we're really trying to figure out what's going on here. Look at what it says. It's on the screen. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. By the way, think about the opposite. If you're not living right with God, don't expect your prayers to get answered. I'm just saying. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, was a human just like us. Isn't that encouraging? Because sometimes we think, oh, there's stories in the Bible. They must be like super Christians. No, not really. He was a normal guy. And oh my goodness, how normal. We're going to see it in a second. Elijah, for instance, a human just like us, prayed hard. The NIV says he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. 
and it didn't. Question, why do you have to pray? I mean, if God told Elijah, what I need you to do is go talk to Ahab and tell him it's not going to rain for three years. If God had already determined and dictated it's not going to rain for three years, why does Elijah have to pray for that? I thought Sardi had done deal. See where I'm going with this? What is he doing? Do you, you remember how the text says that he's just, he's just a normal guy? Watch how normal. Don't forget what his job description and title is. Elijah, prophet of God. So a prophet of God, by the way, New Testament gift of prophecy is completely different than Old Testament role of prophet. If you don't understand that, talk to me, I'll give you some reading. But the Old Testament role of prophet did this. They'd stand up in front of a crowd and say this, God told me to tell you, because they, they, don't, they don't have this book, so they have to rely on God speaking to prophet. God told me to tell you. And to prove to you that I'm not just making it up, I'm going to give a prophecy of something that's going to happen in the future as proof. The prophecy that Elijah gives is it's not going to rain for three years. Okay? Now watch. Some of you know this. What happened if the prophecy given by the prophet didn't come true? What did they do to the prophet? They killed him. Not King Ahab. Oh, no, no, no. The neighbors. You, you're not pulling on my heartstrings telling me you're a prophet, and then, and then, no, 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 you're not a prophet. So here's what we think is happening, right? Elijah wakes up in the morning, right? He gets out of his tent. He grabs his cup of coffee. <sighs> are those clouds? Those are dark clouds. Oh, my goodness, let me look at my weather app. What is going Oh, 60% precipitation. Oh, my. Heavenly Father, dear God, please. Please don't let it rain, please. You know what this is? It's a nervous prayer. It's a stressed out prayer. Anyone showed up nervous about something this morning? We just went through 21 days of prayer for crying out loud. One of the big emphasis was that it's prayer is not just about what it does and how it influences God. It's how it influences you. You came in here nervous, stressed, and concerned about something? Stop talking to all your peeps about the problem and get on your knees and pray. Watch what happens. Watch what it does to your soul. The last one, I couldn't come up with the best word, but let me give it to you. Let me talk it out. The last thing is that Elijah obeys blindly. He obeys blindly. Put it in quotation marks because that doesn't mean you can't think. It's this idea that he obeys without fully understanding what's happening. It's this whole raven thing. So, so Luis put the slides together for me. You see every time, many times that Elijah's talked about a specific animal or bird is talked about, and you see it on the screen. It's the raven. It comes from this story, this crazy thing where three and a half years, the ravens are bringing him food. But it gets super crazy when you start studying ravens. Let me give you a couple indications about ravens. One, Leviticus tells God's people that ravens are unclean. Don't eat ravens, don't touch ravens, don't get close to ravens. Uh, so why, why are you hiring raven catering service then? Why don't you use a pigeon or a canary, a parrot, something else? Why are they unclean? Did you know that ravens are essentially small, tiny vultures? The food that they eat has been dead for some time. Yuck. So the ravens are eating in the morning, whatever they're eating. In the afternoon, they're bringing him food, but I don't know about you, but whatever they were holding in the morning, I don't want them holding my Subway sandwich in the afternoon. 
Three, ravens, unlike most birds, this is weird, they don't feed their young. It's weird. So the little ravens, you know, they, the, they, have, they, they have the eggs and the, the egg hatches and the little baby raven chick comes out. And, and, and as soon as that happened, mom's like, boom, see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. What? They don't feed them. I know, sounds weird, sounds mean. But my point is this, they don't share food. And in the midst of all this, Elijah's like, you have got to be kidding me. So check this out. Again, there's nothing wrong with you and I having questions about God's will in our life. The issue is going to be, are you going to obey God in spite of your questions? I'll obey blindly even if I don't fully understand. Let me wrap up with this. I want to show you a pattern. I'm going to bring it up a little bit more again next week. But verse 2, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Verse 5, Elijah does and obeys God completely, fully. Verse 8, the word of the Lord once again comes to Elijah. Listen to me very carefully. This is important. Verse 2 is guaranteed to every one of us. God is desperately trying to speak to you. God is desperately trying to guide you. God is desperately trying to nudge you this way or that way. Verse 2 is guaranteed to everyone. But verse 8 is conditional. Verse 2, guaranteed. Verse 8, conditional. You don't, aren't guaranteed verse 8. You aren't guaranteed repeat guidance from God unless you engage in verse 5. Last thing I want you to understand is this. If you don't obey God today, if you don't obey God today, don't expect God to guide you tomorrow. Verse 2, God's speaking to you. Verse 2, God's guiding you. Verse 2, God is nudging you. you. You want that to happen next week, next month? It's dependent on what you do with God, with what's God telling you right now. So if you're in a situation where you're like, I can't hear God, suggestion, maybe go back to the last time he guided you and figure out if you've applied everything he told you in that ta- at that point. Just a suggestion. I read something interesting about Arabian horses this week. Arabian horses are considered to be some of the most highly trained and intelligent animals, not just horses, but animals. Some of us, I'm sure we've seen what they can do on TV or at a circus or at a show. It's, it, they're, it's incredible what they can do. And I read a very interesting detail about one of the last exercises or techniques that a trainer puts the Arabian horse through to identify and determine whether they're at the level they need them to be. Initially, it sounds a little mean. Apparently what they do, most of these horses trained in the Middle East, apparently what they do is for a couple days, they withhold water from the horse. Sounds a little weird, but... uh, Then after a couple days, you got to imagine... You know, after a couple days of normal life, but living in the Middle East, you're especially thirsty. After a couple days of no water, they open the gate. They open the gate into an area where the horse knows there's water. And of course, the water, uh, the the horse is rather kind of desperate for water. So the the horse starts kind of trotting over to the water. And then just before the horse is about ready to dip its head in and start drinking, 
the master blows a whistle and gives a command indicating that the horse is to come back to its master. And it's at that moment that the horse has a choice. Will I follow the thirst that is within me or will I listen to my master's voice? And I'm here to ask you and tell you and remind you that you have the same choice. Are you following what makes you thirsty in life? Are you following what you think you need in life more than you're following the voice of your master? And oh, by the way, these trainers are not trying to kill their horse. They know what the horse needs. They know that. Your master knows what you need and want. He's not trying to make your life difficult. Are you going to follow what you thirst for? Or are you going to listen to his voice? Remember what we called this morning. Obedience is tough. Don't forget, in the long run, it's always worth it. I promise you. Here's the summary of what we've learned this morning. Let's put it on the screen. I want everybody to say out loud, speak up. Everybody say, listen up. Everybody say, shape up. Which one are you going to do? No, don't say all of them. Pick one. Super godly people on this section right here. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I, I get it. We, we want to do all, but which one do you most need to do? Guys, listen, you are, some of you, you have friends that are not following Jesus, and they'll listen to you. You're just not speaking up. Remember your homework assignment. Figure out a way to say something about God that enhances his reputation in their mind. Second of all, listen up. Listen up. I, I'm glad and I hope that when you come on Sunday mornings, you sense that God's trying to guide and lead you. But you certainly do know that Sunday morning at church is, is not the only place you can hear from God. He's trying to talk to you tomorrow and the day after. We just got to put a little more effort into listening. Or finally, some of us know it, we need to shape up. There's something he's asked us to do, and we're following our thirst more than we're following his voice. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed, just take a moment. Why did God want you here? What most resonates with what you heard this morning? 15 seconds, you and God, let him know. Figure it out. Why don't you guys uh, stand with me for closing prayer and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I don't, I don't know. It seems like the most encouraging thing to me was to be reminded that Elijah was a normal guy. What's presented to us is not, is not the story of a super saint. What's presented to us is the story of a normal guy that, that loved God and did the best that he could to listen and to glorify and to obey. And that's, that's what we are. Normal men and women uh, with a desire to please you. So we, we got a lot of things this morning, but help us and remind us 
of those one or two things that you, you especially want us to do. We'll get to all of them eventually, but those one or two things we really need to sink our teeth into. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for how encouraging it always is. We love you. We're thank you for, thankful for our church. We continue to pray for Easter and what it means. Uh, we pray that you would help us use that Saturday and that Sunday to be an opportunity. We help people take their next step closer to Jesus. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. have a great week, Bay Hills. Bye-bye.